You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Ashley Winch in Kansas City, Missouri, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for Wednesday, January 24th, episode 3350. Good morning, horse world. While Glenn, Jen, and I are soaking up some sunshine at PodFest Orlando, we are cracking open the podcast vault for a winter special. Brace yourselves for a time-traveling trip back to 2021, where we will revisit some winter wisdom from the pros when Steve Krauss talked about winter hoof care and Dr. Brian Waldridge joined us to discuss frostbite in horses. Then we will highlight a chat about the five stages of gray in winter. Before we jump in our Wayback Machine, a quick word from our friends at Daily Dose. I'm here with the mad scientist who developed Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds, Janet Geyer. And I wanted to have a quick chat with you because Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds are non-GMO whole food nutrition based. And a lot of people go, oh, that comes from a small dedicated feed mill. I won't be able to get that when I travel. They're wrong, aren't they? They are. You can get it through Chewy anywhere in the United States. Or if you live locally in Maryland and Northern Virginia, you can get it delivered. There you go. Chewy.com. It will deliver it anywhere you want. You can also schedule delivery in advance so you can have it delivered every X number of days. And you can go in there to your account and change it every time you move horse show venues. So check it out today, dailydoseequine.com online or chewy.com. Now grab your hot cocoa, snuggle up close, and let's hop in the podcast time machine for a winter wellness adventure you won't want to miss. Speaking of staying warm, be sure to check out everything currently on sale at statelinetac.com. I was currently looking at some blankets and I saw every brand from Amigo to Horsewear Ireland, Rhino, Weatherbeater, Tough Rider, and more. Of course, coming in every color because why have a horse if you can't accessorize? And don't forget about your dog too. They have dog blankets available as well. And currently they're offering 20% off of orders over $29 and 30% off of orders over $129. Don't delay. Head over to StatelineTech.com today. And thank you to StatelineTech.com for continuing to sponsor our show. Speaking of, let's get on with it. Uh, a guest back with us, it's Steve Krause, head of Farrier Services over at uh Cornell University. We had him on actually talking about this a little bit ago, but Jennifer wanted us to replay it today. Uh, and what it's talking about is winter hoof care and whether you're to shoe or not to shoe over the winter. And I remember this conversation was a terrific conversation and it's timely because it's getting chilly. So here is Steve Krause. We have Steve Kraus, the head of Farrier Services at Cornell University, and Steve has been on our show a ton, and he has a wealth of knowledge about the hoof. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the myths surrounding hoof care, and and I think if we're going to 
Do you need a sec? Yeah, I'm good. Get in your car, close the door, turn the heat on. It's cold outside, I'm sure. Yes, I I just did. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, I think one of the biggest questions that people have as far as uh, coming into the winter season is... Should you pull your horse's shoes in the winter because they have better traction in the snow uh, and ice barefoot versus wearing a shoe? Um, and, and what is your, as somebody who really hasn't ever lived in a snowy area, but I'm in a place now where there is going to be snow, I would love to know the answer to this question. Well, this is a common question, and, and this is a kind of has a kind of a multiple answer here. So in, where we live in upstate New York, it does snow but it doesn't snow all the time. It used to snow all the time. And I think maybe, you know, climate varies back and forth. Sometimes we have snowy, icy winters and other times we have very open, but cold winters. So what happens in um, like November, people ask me if I'm the weatherman. <laughs> is it gonna, when is it going to snow? Because they're thinking of putting traction on and anti-snowball pads and so on. And, you know, do you think it's going to snow soon or you think it's, you know, what kind of winter? So I'm like, I'm a horseshoer. I'm not the weatherman. Um, so so I'm, I'm like in the end of November, I'm not going to see you till January. And we do get a lot of snow anytime after Thanksgiving. And that's what we did this year. And but who knows what it's going to do. So if you're going to prepare for winter, now's the time to start doing it in the snowy climates. So that, that's the beginning of this. So, again, climate and moisture and how much snow really affects what we really need. Uh, first, I want to say is if, if the horses are on a constant snowpack and are not being used for anything, uh, you know, not doing any kind of real work, the, the feet hold up the best on a nice constant snowpack. Well, we always don't get that. But if we have the freeze-thaw cycle, if we have a lot of ice, um, a, a steel shoe without any other traction device is slippery on ice and can be slippery on snow. So yes, a horse without shoes is probably safer um, than a horse with steel shoes without any traction. But however, on ice and, and hard packed snow and crossing roads, if you're trail riding, some type of traction is definitely more safe and, and useful to using the horse if um, uh, if you apply it properly. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to shoe the horse then and it's snowy, then you also need some type of uh, pad uh, to reduce the snow buildup. Because what happens is we call it snowballing. We have um, the slight warmth that radiates from the horse's foot. Um, melts a little bit of snow and then freezes it to the steel and then it cakes up into what we call a snowball. So uh, some type of pad, uh, like a polyurethane flat pad or a bubble pad, which is called a a, a snowball pad, um, stops that from happening. But what I like the best for this is um, what's called a no snow rim pad, which is a rim pad that goes on with this uh, rubber tube or polyurethane tube it goes around the inside rim, and that insulates the hoof from the uh, uh, the, the, the snow and, and doesn't let the melt, plus it's flexible. And if you have a freeze-thaw winter and you don't have this muddy, snowy, slushy 
soup migrating underneath the flat pad. So it keeps the foot open um, when there's no snow and you don't get a buildup of, of, of things that rot the foot away. And then when there is snow, it keeps the snow from building up. And so pads and studs are quite um, a big item in the Northeast this time of year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, man, I'm glad I don't have to deal with all that. I'm down in Oklahoma, so we will get some snow and then it'll melt and then we'll get some slush and some mud. So yeah, interesting to think about and, and to think about you would see somebody in November, but really not see him again till February. And that's leads me to another question that people have is do the horses, the, the hoof growth, does it slow down in the winter? Yeah. The, uh, from what I have seen, and my observation is mostly in the Northeast, um, as we start to lose daylight, and that you know starts happening in June, uh, the end of you know summer solstice, you know, the feet react and start slowing down by the end of the summer into fall, and as we get into this time of year, um, again the horses you know hormones react to the length of day. So feet are slowing down in December and January, and there's a month or so lag behind the actual, you know, uh, you know, the solstice. And then I've noticed with horses, especially horses that are inside, and the, we have a lot of indoor arenas around here, they're turned out a little bit, but they're not grazing any, or there's nothing to eat, you know, growing yet. The feet really start speeding up uh, in growth at the end of March and April, and they'll grow probably twice as much in 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 april and may than they've had in the three previous months interesting so, interesting uh, especially thoroughbred horses who need more energy to stay warm and you know they're putting it into their coats and so on so my observation over like the last 50 years around here has been this slowing of growth on not all horses but most of them uh that i've worked on uh, during the winter months and then speeding up in springs and then slowing down by the end of the summer into fall. So with some horses, you would go to redo them on a six-week schedule and you would get there and you would look like nothing has grown. Mm. It's not worth redoing them. It's not worth trimming them. So that, you know, it kind of varies to the individual horse too, but also um, it's the... Uh, um, the climate is going to have an influence too. I know yeah. if the down in Wellington and South Florida and Ocala, uh, the feet are probably growing a bit quicker down here. They have more warmth. They're probably um, uh, on a uh, the more moisture. So that's going to influence uh, more hoof growth too. That was I was going to ask you that because we live in Florida, and I was wondering, does it do the same thing for the horses that live here full time? You know, all year. I, I think, you know, in, in the more, uh, you know, in the Northeast and, and, and throughout the, you know, upper Midwest and so on, you do have, you know, a change of seasons that's very noticeable. And uh, whereas in Florida, especially, you have, you know, more constant moisture conditions and, and so on. And that, you know, I don't think the horses are going to respond uh, to that length of day change as much. And plus they're probably being exercised more down there too. You know, there's more activity in, in Florida over the winter. So mm -hmm. exercise, uh, nutrition, uh, all that stuff, uh, combines with, with the, you know, the length of day also there. So a lot of factors, not just one thing, 
But we noticed in the Northeast the slowing of the growth uh, during during the winter. Is there a benefit to hot shoeing versus cold shoeing, especially in the winter? Well, the the main benefit, well, well, lots of good benefits to hot shoeing. What I like about hot shoeing dur- during the winter, it keeps my hands warm. Um, <laughs> and, That's funny. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we could go out on some of these days and, you know, uh, a lot of us keep pretty busy shoeing all kinds of horses during the winter. And um, having that forge going uh, is a nice heat source. You could warm your tools up a little bit. <laughs> um, and and it, 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 if you pound on cold metal, during this kind of cold weather, it, it's very, it, the metal is even actually a little bit um, harder to work when you get into the twenties and, and less if you, you know, if you're going to be out there. So hot chewing is a benefit to shaping the shoes itself. Um, especially as you get out of the light shoes and get into, you know, standard and wide web rim shoes, they're not going to shape very well cold, um, and easily, especially in the cold weather. So, um, you know, you need the forge to shape them properly and to do any modifications. So that's hot shaping. Hot fitting is taking that shoe while it's warm and checking the fit, burning a clip in. And the benefits of, of hot fitting is you can do your final uh, uh, flattening of, of the foot if you have a perfectly flat shoe and have a little bit of an imperfection in the sole, uh, in the wall surface. You can actually singe that and, and burn a little bit away or leave a mark for you to rasp. Um, uh, but it, again, in climate, has a huge um, uh, influence on uh, the benefits of hot fitting. So again, down in South Florida, where you're very moist, you not only have, in some cases, excessive moisture, but you also have lots of fungi and bacteria that like to eat away at the hoof. So when you hot fit, you are killing that bacteria, number one. You are also sealing off the bottom of the foot because the horn tubules are like little straws. And if you notice, if you trim a horse's foot and they're standing on a flat surface and the horse picks his foot up after a minute, there's an imprint of moisture where the foot was. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. see all this moisture is, is coming in, running out of the foot or, or, or you know, a ability to move too much. So what the guys who shoe regularly down in South Florida will do, they will hot fit for the reason of sealing those, those horn tubules off, which tightens up the foot, makes it a little bit stronger, and it also kills all the fungi and bacteria that are trying to invade. So the problem you run into, and these guys down there are so smart, they figured out how to get around this. Um, if you are shoeing a lot of performance horses with aluminum shoes, the aluminum cannot get hot enough to do a good hot fit. So they, those guys down there in Wellington invented what they call the hot plate. And so they put a, a hoof-shaped piece of uh, steel plate in the forge to heat that up, and they have a little notch they can fit their tongs into, and they actually hot fit a plate onto the foot before they nail their aluminum shoe on to kind of reproduce that hot fitting a steel shoe would do. Isn't that ingenious? That's really smart. They, they made it work for them. Well, one more question. See if we're running out of, sorry, go ahead. Uh, Well, again, you know, they're just solving a problem (laughs) and they find the feet hold up better. 
That's fantastic. Very cool. Um, before we let you go, one more question, because uh, I know I, I deal with a lot of off the track thoroughbreds and I know a lot of our listeners do too. And it's a, a question about horses that have really low heels. Some people think that they might've been trimmed too short. Is that the case or is it confirmation and can it be fixed? It's more of a confirmation problem. Um, uh, a lot of thoroughbreds off the track have developed in front what's called a, a flat or negative uh, palmer angle. And behind, we call that a plantar angle. And that's the angle of the bottom of the coffin bone with the ground. And that is a bit of a confirmation problem. Uh, uh, so the horse is actually, uh, instead of having a positive of four to six degree um, coffin bone angle with the ground, it's either flat or negative. And that compresses the digital cushion and makes for what we call the low-heeled horse. And so there's, and the thing you do not want to do without looking at the horse is just wedge it up because the horse is already hitting his heels too hard. You, sometimes you just got to bring the support further back or, or do some frog pressure to help the, the bony column because the horse is actually sinking backwards in his hoof capsule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, people always want to put it, they, you should put a wedge on that. But to me, that first Not of good. all, you put the wedge in it and they're hitting that heel more. And I feel like sometimes if you wedge it up, the fetlock drops even more, putting more. Correct. Exactly. That's the biomechanics. You got that 100% right. And a lot well, of people get that 100% wrong and, and, and do the opposite thing. And then they create problems. So if you're listening, first of all, Steve Cross just said I was right. I was just I was just going to uh, say she is going to use that. I'm no, going to have to take it out as a soundbite and use it forever. <laughs> no, but uh, you you explained it exactly the way I would explain it. So if you guys are, you know, you have a horse with really low heels, do not let a farrier put a wedge pad on it because confirmationally that Fetlock will drop and put more stress on the suspensory ligaments and more stress on the bottom of that heel. So just keep that in mind because exactly. I've heard so many people say, just put, you got to put a wedge pad on it. No, don't do that. Um, and I'm going to end with Steve Krause telling me that I was right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve, it's always so awesome having you on because you explain things in a way that we can all understand. And I really appreciate your time. Where can people, if they want to contact you, uh, find you, or where can people find out more about Cornell University Farrier Program? Well, we have a Facebook page, Cornell Farrier Program on Facebook, easy to find. Um, they can contact me, uh, email is S E K seven, eight at cornell.edu. Um, and they can, uh, go on the Cornell veterinary college's website and search for farrier and you can find all kinds of stuff about us. So, um, we have a great program here and we train a lot of farriers and some of which are working down in Wellington this winter. So, um, you know, we, we're, we're quite busy here. We call those the lucky ones, Steve. <laughs> right, 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 right. Fantastic. Have well, give, a great holiday. Way to visit them. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. And here I am with Dr. Brian Waldridge, known by a lot of the horse world as Dr. B's Bluegrass on Facebook, a veterinarian from central Kentucky who has this really cool Facebook page that he puts all kinds of interesting posts on. Uh, about his many adventures there in Kentucky as a horse vet. Welcome back to the show, Dr. B. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for asking me. Today, as we record this, the entire United States seems to be 
well and truly frozen. So I thought it might be timely to chat a little bit about frostbite because horses can get frostbite too. So maybe we should start with what is frostbite? So frostbite is really the the effects on the body and usually it's the extremities. So the the places we worry about are the ears and the feet and, and occasionally the tail, the extremities of the body where there's less blood flow. So those spots are more sensitive to cold damage. And when cold damage occurs, it can both actually freeze those cells, but also it damages the blood vessels. So there's less blood flow in those areas. And that's why sometimes when you have a sequela of, of frost frostbite is, excuse me, that you'll see skin sluffage and changing colors of the skin where it looks like a burn turns blue or turns black. So is, is frostbite literally frozen? So if a horse or a human for that matter has frostbite on the tip of their ear, is the, is that actually a frozen ear or is it a little more complex than that? It can be truly frozen. You know, if the blood flow is compromised to the point that blood can no longer go to that area, then it will go ahead and freeze because the blood's going to be our way to, to warm that tissue. So in the worst case where we have the damage to the blood vessel and the tissue becomes devitalized or, or dies, then that can go ahead and freeze. So, you know, less you know, degrees of frostbite, but the ones we want to have is maybe where there's just some cold damage and, we warm those tissues up. It may be red and painful for a few days, but goes away. And the bad end of the spectrum would be no blood flow and dead tissue that's eventually going to slough off. Ew, this would be yucky. Okay, that's step one. Now, step two, obviously, horses don't get frostbite all the time. Horses live in all parts of the country, all over the world, where it gets really, 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 really cold. So under what circumstances would a horse be at risk for frostbite? You know, to me, and, and this thing I always talk to clients because we've gotten a lot of calls on this because it's really cold in Kentucky right now is you know, we worry about what's the horse's overall body condition. Uh, you know, that gets really those pretty young, good body condition horses. You don't tend to see it as much in so if they have good body condition, they're less likely to get frostbite, although that's not always true. And then do we have conditions that make the horse more likely to have cold stress? So really the the two big ones in that is wind, because we all know about, you know, when they're doing the weather report, telling you what the uh, wind chill is. I don't even listen to that anymore in Kentucky because it's always terrible. <laughs> but what's the wind chill going to be? And then things like getting wet because, you know, you get wet, you get colder because you've got wet. So now you get more, more heat loss. So, you know, if horses have a wind block and a spot, they can get out of the rain or the snow, then they're less likely to show those signs. And, you know, as a rule, but not always true, you know, if they're a kind of a younger, healthier horse and they've had time to adapt to that change in weather, you know, the horse has been in the cold area for quite a while and, you know, had time for the season to gradually change, then they those tend to do all right. You know, if we took a horse from California and dropped them right in the middle of Kentucky right now, they're definitely going to show cold stress. So cold stress, and this is something that <clears throat> I used to struggle with a lot back in the day when I took care of lots of other people's horses. 
a horse is designed, and humans are too, actually, mammals are designed so that as Mother Nature's seasons change, they change relatively gradually, and their body adjusts to it so that in the middle of summer, when the average daytime temperature is 85 degrees, if you pick that horse up and magically drop him someplace else where the average daytime temperature is 40 that horse is going to experience cold stress because his body has not had the chance to adjust to it versus a, that same horse could live in a place where in the summertime it's 80 degrees on average in the winter, summer. And then in the winter, the average temperature is 12 degrees and that horse will be just fine because he's experiencing the seasonal change and his body is hardwired to make those adjustments. Right, because they've had time to adapt to it, and a hair coat is—that's part of it. <laughs> greatly, greatly more influenced by right. It's part of it's greatly influenced by duration of light in the day. So that's the biggest contributor to it. But also, if they're in cold, they're going to tend to grow a, a heavier hair coat. But so they may not have as good a coat neglecting the the effects that uh, Mm -hmm. decreasing sunlight would have, which should trigger a heavier hair coat. Right. And then you have the effect of, I I just watched this on Mythbusters the other day, when the body gets cold, whether it's a human or a horse, the body will reduce circulation to the extremities in order to preserve core body temperatures so that they don't become hypothermic, thus contributing to poor circulation in the extremities, which keeps them even colder. Right, but right. your horse and can't that's put on one mittens. Of the things. <laughs> no, they can't. No, and uh, although if they had those in the horse catalogs, they would wear. They them. would but, sell. Uh, yeah, I would buy some. <laughs> Absolutely. So, say we're having a cold snap, or you have a horse in that you think might be at risk. Maybe he's older, um, not so prone to moving around and keeping himself warm. Doesn't particularly care for eating lots of hay and all those things. How might I suspect that, uh uh-oh, my horse might have frostbite? What would I look for? So coldness would be one of the things, you know, is that tissue. And I I always kind of go back to their foot to control, to be be when I'm trying to think, you know, is this horse is, we'll just use ear as an example, or, or the other day I checked a horse's sheath to see if it may be having some, frostbite so i'll i'll always go back to the feet because it seems like the the blood flow there kind of would tell you what the extremities are up to so i'll go feel their foot say okay what does that feel like then go up to their ear and say does the ear feel a lot colder then that would worry me if it felt inordinate inordinate inordinately i shouldn't use such high words with more than two syllables um colder from the ear to the foot i think well that's a little bit worrisome because he should be maintaining that blood flow better and then is there pain when you feel that area is the horse painful because you know with frostbite they're generally going to show those two things where you know if it's just a cold day it may feel cold but the horse shouldn't show any pain you may see swelling too because of that decreased blood flow and the fluid can't get back into the circulation so you go out and color change. I and, should say color yeah, change. Yeah, which is harder to tell on your horses so whenever you, yeah. you you're going out and it's a frigid nasty weather you're worried about your senior citizen and you go out there and you go, oh boy, his his ears are very, very chilly and he is unusually upset about me fussing with his ears. He usually doesn't mind. What's my next step? 
Well, then we get decide, you know, just can we bring the horse? If there's a worry of it and the horse is showing discomfort, then how do we get them out of the cold? So do they have a, a windbreak or are they wet where they need to come in out of the, out of the weather? And then, you know, if they're not wearing a blanket, then that would be a time to think about a blanket to try and just make that core body temperature be higher or maintain it better and potentially help the extremities stay Ah, a bit warmer. Okay. So we're going back to that core body temperature by helping the core body temperature uh, comfortably and easily stay normal versus stressing and, and struggling to stay normal. We're allowing the body to naturally improve the blood flow back towards those extremities. Yes, and it depends a little bit on size too. Like you may worry about it more in a mini than you would uh, true. He's got, an adult yeah. normal size horse. Yeah, it's a because tiny the because really the the smaller animals have a greater surface area compared to their body weight than a larger animal. So because of that greater surface area, they're more likely to lose heat. Yeah. So we're gonna we're, we brought we've brought our horse over and we've got him in our. We brought him into the barn, and we're going to walk him around a little bit, help him warm, put a nice, big, puffy, warm blanket on him. Is We're going to use ears as an example because it's easy. Uh, would it be a good idea to rub his ears, put mittens on his ears, pour some hot water on his ears? What should we do? So I think rubbing them, putting something on there, you know, water, because that's going to promote heat loss. I probably wouldn't do that. And if one of the responses to heat can also be blood vessel constriction. Oh, so I would. That. As, you know, as much as possible, let them passively warm themselves by rubbing them or, or covering them up. There we go. So at what point is it better call the vet? You know, for sure, a color change. You know, if you saw that that tissue is, is purpley, to, you know, and everybody's seen those pictures where the people get, get terrible frostbite, it starts to turn black. Yeah, they're icky. icky. That's that's they are terrible that that shows there's been significant tissue damage and so you know if they don't respond within an hour or two then it's probably time to have it looked at but color change would be bad continued pain would be bad and then the rest of the horse feels pretty warm and that tip of that ear still feels really cold and Uh, that would signal there may be something going on blood flow wise there we go very interesting so uh, bring them in, help them get that core body temperature comfortably and consistently back to normal, and uh, do a, make sure he's got some forage and plenty of hydration. Can dehydration play a role in susceptibility? Well, it sure can. You know, it, it would uh, animal would have to be fairly well dehydrated, but still, if they have lower vo- lower blood volume, is going to be lower perfusion to the rest of the body. So. If we if we're normally hydrated, then hopefully our blood volume is going to be as it should be, which would help keep the tissues perfused and warm. There we go. Well, fascinating stuff, yeah. and as I said, timely considering that as we record, the entire country seems to be dipping below below norms. So, uh, thank you again, Doctor B, for stopping by and telling us all about really great horse health topics. Where can folks follow your many many Central Kentucky adventures online? So I'm on the Facebook, uh, Dr. B's Bluegrass, and uh, have pictures of the things I run into every day and uh, some of the horses I'm lucky enough to see uh, fairly often that uh, everybody can come and uh, 
Enjoy Kentucky from afar. There we go. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and we will see you again soon. For the first time, I think, since I was seven years old, which was just a few years ago, uh, I have a gray horse. And you guys wrote... (laughs) Y'all wrote an article about the five stages. It says the five uh, five stages of grays in the winter, but it's kind of in the middle there. It's grief in the winter. So, um... Yes, gray horses are beautiful. And the good news is mine has, because he came directly off the track, has been in a from ears to tail blanket the entire time I've owned him practically. So (laughs) the only thing that's really dirty is his cheeks and his jowls because he rubs those on the ground. But that is, I'm, I'm in big trouble come spring. Oh yeah, you are. And I, I have to say this article that this five stages of grief slash grays in the winter is probably one of, I'm not supposed to play favorites, but it's probably one of my favorites that we've had in a while. Um, and part of it is I just love the play on the five stages of grief. Um, the other part is that, you know, our my writer, Kristen Brennan, just, you know, she I love kind of her self-deprecating humor and her her willingness to totally make fun of herself. <laughs> I do, and, uh, yeah. On our yearly late Indian summer day, I scrub him head to toe one final time, admire my work as he glows in the sunlight. And I think to myself, this year is going to be the one. At that point, she's in denial. And then comes the next stage. Why don't you tell us what it is? Which is anger. And, you know, the first couple of times the horse comes in just covered head to foot in mud. She goes, I can feel my blood pressure rise. Eventually the frustration wins out. And before I know know it, I'm standing on my front porch screaming over and over again. Why? Marcus, of course, looks at me with what's the problem as he drops to roll again. <laughs> stage three is bargaining because you realize anger is futile and you find yourself in the third stage of coping. The negotiations are small, an extra treat in exchange for less rolls that day. <laughs> you know, I, I had a horse, a bay horse, his name was Groot. And, uh, bless his new owner's heart. I, I always said every time I saw that horse, I was like, thank God you're not gray. Cause that was the biggest <laughs> mud pig I ever had seen. And it uh, looks like her horse is the same because stage four Deanne is depression. She <laughs> says by late winter, my once beautiful steed is now a, what feels like permanent shade of mud. And the fourth stage of coping sets in. <laughs> Which, and I feel like that is accurate on so many levels. One, because you just accept that your gray horse is not gray for the winter. And then two, like you're at that point in the year where it's just gray and gross out anyway. (laughs) So you might as well just lump it all in together. Yeah, I feel like um, what happened, fortunately for me, was the horse came pretty quickly off the racetrack. So he did. he's still very gray and beautiful when I take the blanket off. But as soon as I take it off, I'm pretty sure he's just going to go absolutely nuts. And, and the stage five is acceptance. And that's when you just give up. I was thinking like maybe next year I can bathe him right before it get like on the day it starts to get cold and put the blanket on him and see him in the spring and see him in the spring and call it a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's we- funny because I have not gray horses and they're not, it's not just that I can't see it. They're also just not mud balls. Mm-hmm. Right. Like on the, occasion that my chestnut comes in with a little bit of mud scrape like stuck to her it's like on one side of her rump or like 
Yeah. <laughs> or just a little bit on her cheek. And, you know, here I am like 10 minutes ra- later ready to ride. And my friend with her gray is like still currying off the first quarter of her horse. I, do, I don't understand. Is it the fact that it just shows more? Is it the fact that gray horses legit don't want to be spotted by predators? So they're like, let's make ourselves brown. Ooh, that. I like that legitimacy. I'm going to go with that. Um, But I just think it's a spite thing. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds good to be like, um, yeah, I'm trying to cover myself. It's like people with paint horses. They always say the white parts of their paint horse get the dirtiest, you know? Well, duh. They're trying to cover up those white spots. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like, obviously, if you run your hand along your brown horse, you know your brown horse is not clean. Like, it's like your hand comes away dirty. But you can't see the stains. So, yes. And I'm like... That wasn't a poop stain. We'll just curry that right away. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's a sad when my gray horse's blanket, like f- the f- the first blanket I put on him, somebody ripped the somebody. from about mid flank all the way to the to the liner on the back. So that blanket is pretty much toast. But then the next, I just put it his other lighter blanket on him because the snow's gone and it's red, but now it's actually just mud, like the whole thing. So I know what I'm in for once the blanket <laughs> is removed, but I'm just trying to stave it off as long as possible. <laughs> One of the things I loved in Kristen's article too, is that she says, you know, I look at photos of other people's horses in the snow and like the jealousy, I can't handle it basically. <laughs> Because it's so beautiful and mine just find mud. Thanks for traveling back to 2021 with me. I hope that you enjoyed our winter special. Tomorrow, we have a fresh new episode of Horse Husbands coming to an RSS feed near you. And Friday, Jamie will be joined by Lisa Wysocki. That's right. It's going to be a girls only show. Now get out there and ride your horse.